Jim McGinnis, and this is Stories We Can Tell. November 19 is not quite a national holiday, but it jumps out at me every year. I woke up this morning thinking about Lincoln and Gettysburg. Bob Dylan sang, let me die in my footsteps while I made the coffee. It's one of my favorite cuts from the Freewheeling album, and yes, I still call it an album. I've been known to play it over and over again. I stared out through the kitchen window past the tire swing. The old man across the street was putting up the flag. As I stood at the sink, my mind drifted back to when I stared at many flags to a cold day in our nation's capital. I had sat myself down on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, glancing back over my left shoulder at that amazing figure, seemingly watching me, watching us. Why are there so many pictures of Lincoln in here is an oft-repeated question in my classroom. It's his face, was the teacher's reply. And that face is the whole idea, the basis for the American idea. I smiled at the expressions on some of my students' faces. Perhaps they were sensing that they're, what they were about to get themselves into. I asked for a definition of individualism a term they had discussed back when I introduced them to the Declaration of Independence, and I was happy to get a response relating to the pursuit of happiness, but I was hoping for more. The teacher reminded his class that all that fighting and dying in the revolution wasn't just so they could buy a bunch of stuff, or you could live free of obligation to do whatever you wanted. I pointed to the painting on the wall. Is Lincoln telling us that perhaps there is more? Is there more? I didn't even know why I was so fascinated with Lincoln's face until reading Jacob Needleman's The American Soul. Then and only then did it strike me. Needleman had noticed in studying photographs that Lincoln's face possessed a freedom. Even after the trials of politics and the horrors of war, it was the same tranquility he had seen in pictures taken a decade earlier. Needleman saw in Lincoln something that had little to do with being unique or unusual, something unrelated to psychosocial characteristics, blah, blah, blah. It was an individualism, something he believed to be spiritual that was independent of all this. American character had been shaped by a radical new, no new notion that each person was responsible for his or her own destiny. I believe Martin Luther used the word salvation. Here is a man, I said to my students, who defined us as a people, who had the power to transcend politics to become our prophet. But to do so, he had to wade through war, intrigue, manipulation, compromise, and ego. Yes, he had to play politics to overcome politics. So why is his face all over the room? It reminds us that we can be both responsible to ourselves and responsible to each other. You and I mistakenly think that we live in an either-or society, that we can only have one thing or the other. That's not necessarily true. Our country seems to define politics like that, but it doesn't have to be that way. You can work toward being the person you want to be and fight for what is right. Lincoln is proof that character traits are not mutually exclusive. November 19, 1863, 155 years ago.
spoke for two and a half minutes. In giving a few appropriate remarks at Gettysburg, few realized the gravity of those three paragraphs. In time, however, we'll come to understand that Abraham Lincoln will define us as a culture, what we were, what we are, and what we may become. At the time, Thomas Jefferson's Declaration of Independence was revered as our founding document, our national birth certificate, but his proposition of freedom and equality was so radical, it seemed beyond our ken. Surely, they were lofty, noble ideas, but they seemed to hold little relevance to everyday life here in America. It'll be Lincoln who connects people to their values. Is there no greater challenge for a leader? Is there no greater calling for a writer? Leadership is more than management, decision-making, and skillful persuasion. It is the expression of vision. And words can do more than inspire or define great sacrifices. They can define the values which make life worth living, worth defending, worth dying for. Words can challenge us to move ever closer to things we believe in. In his speeches and writings, Lincoln presents a condition by which people can take a great leap forward toward our ideals. He may well be one of the most important writers in the history of the Western civilization. At the root of his rhetoric was an abiding faith in the people. Nevertheless, he was haunted by the hypocrisy of this nation. How could a country profess to love liberty while denying it to millions? Lincoln spent little time and energy condemning Americans for such a lie. On the contrary, he believed that by appealing to the better angels of our nature, free men would see the error of their ways. Lincoln's argument began with elevating the ideals of the Declaration of Independence. He hailed the Declaration as a, quote, pledge to all people of all colors everywhere. His premise is a lofty one, folks. A person's reverence for freedom and equality would lead him away from the institutions that contradict such values. So the first step in ending the hypocrisy of slavery and inequality is reminding free men of their ideals. Lincoln spoke of this for all of his adult life, but his consummate message is in the Gettysburg Address. With 272 words, he takes the American idea and makes it the American creed. Our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. One of my mentors cautioned me about committing certain passages or verses to memory. Sometimes something is lost when we memorize the words. So I followed his advice and read this speech countless times, and it never loses anything. At Gettysburg, Lincoln proposed that the nation would have a new birth of freedom. The only way to honor those who died was to complete the great task remaining before us. There was only one hope to dignify the terrible loss the country had endured, and that was to finish the work of expanding liberty and equality. The blood spilled in the Civil War allowed for a narrowing of the gap, if you will, between the real and the ideal. 
that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation, under God, shall have a new birth of freedom, and the government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. Lincoln's message goes far beyond the dedication of a cemetery in Pennsylvania. The subtext of the Gettysburg Address resonates through the years is our purpose, our creed. The great task remains. It is for us, the living, to be dedicated to the unfinished work. And if you work for something, at something, towards something, hard enough and long enough, the work becomes the something. I filled my coffee cup and thought more about the several journeys I had made to Washington and the memories all seemed to melt together. The first time I visited, my wife and I made one of our now legendary road trips. We would wander around the country making stops and turns when it suited our whim. On the DC trip, these two young Floridians were bound and determined to see two things, snow and Lincoln. We had wandered up the East Coast, stumbled upon Savannah, Charleston, and Richmond. On the return trip, we wound our way through West Virginia and the Carolina Mountains, discovering the charm of Asheville in our serendipitous travels. That first journey to Washington had been something of a pilgrimage. I stood on the steps of the memorial, talking to anyone who would listen, including a park ranger. My wife paused from taking pictures of ducks on the reflecting pond to admire me bearing witness to the place like some apostle of liberty. I had spent time with Jefferson across the tidal basin, and I had reveled in the splendor of the other monuments, but nothing touched me like Lincoln. Upon leaving Virginia that night, I drove to the sounds of Mellencamp and Springsteen, frequently wiping the tears from my eyes. My wife fell asleep, holding onto my hand. Years later, we made another trip, this time with our two children, enduring freezing temperatures to experience the capital. I tried hard not to play the history teacher, but I failed miserably. But when my daughter made a trip north, in her late teens, she sent me a picture from Gettysburg and a simple text. I get it. I cherish that memory. My neighbor's flag was up and waving now, and the old Irishman was nowhere to be seen. But another neighbor was passing, walking a small white dog. He stopped in front of the flag, turned and saluted, then moved along. This is Jim McGinnis. November 19, fair winds.